This episode of the podcast has been brought to you by Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is an inclusive, socially conscious PR collective that puts their money where their mouth is. They have a current roster of bands that reads like a greatest hits anthology. Brainiac, Catholic School, Jawbox, The New Amsterdams, Oceans in the Sky. I mean, the list goes on and on. They also do PR for record labels such as A La Carte, Arctic Rodeo, Steadfast, Rad Girlfriend, and so many more. How do they pay it forward? How do they put their money where their mouth is? By generating thousands of dollars in annual charitable donations to the likes of Women in Vinyl, Coalition of Communities of Color, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and many, many more. The man has the receipts. I've seen them. It is real. The artists, labels, and podcasts Sweet Cheetah works with are curated with an eye on working primarily with friends. You could find Sweet Cheetah on all of the social media platforms, be it Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just look for Sweet Cheetah PR and they will be there. He's been Tim. I've been Peter. And Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast. I am your host, Peter, and I am still here. Tonight on the podcast, I have the pleasure of giving to you a discussion between Dave Gorman, Chuck Young, and myself. Dave and Chuck are from the ubiquitous Orange Island. Do you remember Orange Island? I sure do. Alternative Press had to say about them, while indie rock bands Hum and Sam I Am helped pave the way for the genre, Orange Island had taken those ideas and infused them with new energy. Exclaim Magazine Sounding like Drop D Tune Saves the Day or Jawbreaker, the Clinton, Massachusetts Quartet fuses gut-quaking East Coast post-hardcore rhythms a la quicksand, dual guitar interplay, and intelligent and earnest lyrics. All of these things are true, but that's far from all. You can't sum up a band like this with just a few blurbs, and I think the best way for us to really get a sense for who they were and are and, you know, make sense of this incredible, very, as they'd said, earnest and powerful music is by getting to know the personalities behind the creation of this incredible, incredible music. I'm sure you hear what's happening behind me right now. And if you never heard Orange Island... Get out there. You know, it's not going to be a massive undertaking to just, you know, go stream it somewhere, man. We all stream music. You don't got to go and buy the buy the record or the cassette if you don't have to, at least at first. But once you are bitten by this bug, I'm certain you're going to want to own 
the physical audio document of these incredible records by these incredible human beings. <clears throat> Normally, uh, at this point in the podcast, I am hawking my wares. I am trying to sell you uh, on sharing my content or liking or subscribing or what. Listen, man, if you're not doing it by now, you're probably not fucking gonna. But if you still want to, just go to my Instagram. Go to the book of very, very bad things at Instagram.com. Go to my Facebook. Same kind of thing. Uh, just follow me. Check out what I'm doing. But for now, I have Dave and Chuck, Orange Island, on the book of very, very bad things podcast. Hello, hello. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, you're in outer space. What's going on? <laughs> I am in fucking outer space is right. That's wonderful. I was I, I wish some 1975 trying to get myself in the vibe. <laughs> uh, it, that's a pretty interesting background you got going on there. Uh, dude, I listen, I'm here for all of this. Um a <laughs> uh, 44-year-old Dave Gorman uh, as a farmer. Um, I, this is like my bedtime. So I'm like amping myself up. I, I understand. I've been I, up since four 30 <laughs> this morning. You know, I, I wish I were a farmer. I'm a plumber. No, no, trade. no, dude. I wish I was a fucking plumber. Well, no, I don't, but I wish I was getting your paycheck doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> if that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I, I Not that I'm that. trying to say that, you know, whatever, but like I, trades, man, trades are where it's at. Yeah. My English, I threw my English degree away. Uh, and, Fuck yeah! you know, became a union plumber like my dad, because that's where the money was. Damn and, dude. Not only is it where the money's at, but it's also like, it's interesting and fun and it's always a new experience. You're never in the same fucking place. Like, I don't know. That's what life is for me. Like I want experience in different settings and I don't know, just mix it up. Like, I don't know how people live the same old, same old day to day. I know that's a certain personality type. Mm -hmm. And I get that there are people that need to live that way. And I'm so happy that people can live that way. Right. But fuck, man, I can't do that. <laughs> I, I, I need like constant shift. And, you know, we're in this season, we're in that season, we're in the next season, we're doing this, we're doing that, you know, in the in the grand scheme of farming, obviously, a year is a loop, but the day to day is is never the same. So what what type of farming are you doing? I actually work on a flower farm. Um, which is really wild and amazing. Um, I, I, so I, after the band ended, um, not to get too crazy in depth now, but after the band ended, I, I was probably the one of the three of us, me and Chuck and Bren, who were the three sort of founders of Orange Island. Um, once it ended, I wasn't really ready for it to end. Yeah. I, I was less ready, I guess, let's say than the other two were. Um, and so I had a hard time processing it for a couple of years, few years really. And I was a little lost and in between and really unsure of what I was doing and what to do next and blah, 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 blah. Um, I ended up finding my way to an apple and peach orchard. We also, we also grew vegetables and some uh, various, you know, like blueberries, um, apricots, pe uh, other stuff like that, but mostly apple and peaches and some vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, it was 
a huge like reset moment for me, not only from music, but also for me personally, I was going through a divorce at the time, mm-hmm. um, which was actually very amicable. And my ex-wife and I are very good friends to this day. Um, and, but I needed that time to like process through that shit. So like pruning apple trees in December, January, and February by myself in a fucking quiet, peaceful snow covered orchard was a beautiful thing. I can, imagine. um, but I learned a lot there too. Like I really cut my teeth there. I really learned a lot about farming and like just the day to day, how it works, what you need to know, what you need to do. Also just learning the physical toll. Like it's, it's, you know, anybody that's ever farmed for any real time before, unless it's been a very lucky situation, it's, it's so physically demanding. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you're farming. It's all physically demanding in some way, shape or form. Um, so I learned a lot there and then I got into cannabis for about three and a half, four years in Massachusetts, which I really thought was kind of going to be my like way to take all of my experiences as a young adult and then turning into like a mid adult and like channel it into something where I thought I could make a decent living and actually do something cool. The sad thing is, is um, Massachusetts fucked up legal cannabis very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, They threw it all to rich white dudes and they didn't really treat it the way it should have been treated. So as you would imagine, a bunch of rich white dudes just were like, this is the way it's going to be. This is what I want. And if you're not, uh, if you're not on board, then fuck you, get out of here. I don't want you to be here. Yep. So the majority of the people that want to work in the industry are like early to mid twenties. Well, not, not, I shouldn't say the majority, but a lot of people are, are, are from that previous from, from like the next generation. And I was like the buffer between like their generation and the owner. And it mm. was so fucked up. <laughs> Cause I, I was like, I see both sides. Even I, I, I identified a lot more with the younger generation in terms of mindset. Yeah. But I also knew what the owner and that generation was about. And I was, I tried so hard to like keep everybody happy. And then the pandemic hit and I just, it just got so fucked up, man. Got so fucked up and, and yeah, I couldn't do it anymore. Long story short, um, our dispensary, uh, didn't contract contact trace properly because mm-hmm. the owner didn't want to, cause he didn't want to lose business. He didn't want to close. He didn't want to reduce hours. He didn't want to close the, the business. So we ended up having like this crazy outbreak in December, 2020, like right around Delta hitting hard uh-huh. 24 of our 42 person staff got fucking COVID because of this asshole. myself included and he basically fired me three days before christmas because i kind of forced him to do it (laughs) and (laughs) yeah it's a whole story dude like i he fired me in my office and i walked out with him following me and our store was supposed to be open for like 10 minutes already and everyone's like freaking out like dave what's going on i was like don't ask me i don't fucking work here anymore (laughs) and so the crazy thing was three people walked out with me on the spot and then they told like everybody outside because this was like you know this is massachusetts 2020 recreational cannabis was just kind of getting going so we had a line wrapped around our whole building waiting to get inside three days before christmas and the three 
coworkers of mine that walked out with me were like, don't fucking go in there. It's a terrible place. Everybody's sick. They don't care about you. They don't care about us. I was like, fuck yeah, let's get it. Long story short, they had to close the business for like three months. Um, they let the whole staff go. They hired a whole new staff. Um, and you know, they fucked up. And yeah. for me, it took me like five or six months to get back on my feet. Um, as a lifelong asthmatic, COVID just really hit me hard. Yeah. Um, it was kind of like, um, I don't know if you ever had mono. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. It was like mono times a thousand. Um, so it was like really like springtime before I finally was like able to like get up and out of my house. And I went to my friend's farm um, to buy some flowers for my family and talked to them for like an hour and a half, told them about the shit that I had been through. And, and they were like, Dave, you should just come work here. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. So that's awesome. A year and a half later, um, I'm still there and it's the best thing I, I could have ever fucking done. And Chuck is here with us. Chuck, <laughs> David, Peter, what's Hello, up? I'm in outer space. Where are you? <laughs> yeah, geez, I'm in my son's room, buddy. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's fair. Can you guys hear me? Okay, sorry, my mic uh, wasn't working. Absolutely. All you right, sound like go. a fucking uh, tinny champ. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just do this real quick? Yeah, why not? Plug it. Can I just do this? Can yeah, you see that, it. Peter? I sure can. So that's how that's how used that is. It's 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 already rubbing off. The Orange Island beer mug. Oh yeah! Wow, you guys are really you're you're <laughs> merchandising, merchandising. Oh yeah. <laughs> Princess Bride. No, that's uh, Spaceballs. Spaceballs, oh, the flamethrower. God, why did I fuck that up? <laughs> yeah. It's because I'm half asleep. Sorry. Hey, you're a farmer. It's to be expected. <laughs> that's bullshit excuse. You guys are parents. Yeah, yeah, we're parents. We're parents. <laughs> you guys Enjoy. have a much better excuse than I do. Yeah, I don't know. Listen, it's all relative. <laughs> That's you, true. You can have a turtle, and it's just like having a kid if you never had a kid. <laughs> or you know? a ferret. Right. Whatever. Yeah. But I guess to get into like the business of the episode, mm. um, which I'm so unbusiness like it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm an asshole. But um, there's a massive gap. So 2005 was when the second and final Orange Island full length came out, correct? Um, timeline would would be uh, or, so 2002. Was, I'm sorry, the EP was 2005. Yeah, the yeah. the Rise EP was yeah. was yeah early 2005 um, when that when that hit, and we were uh, as a as a normal um, working touring band, we were done at that point. Um, so with Casey, we did. Um, Shape of Calling, the first EP, and then um, Everything You Thought You Knew was our first full length with Casey. And then we did, um, which is the reissue um, on Triple Crown. Um, and then then we went on to the, the Rise EP eventually. So it was the four releases over the time frame of the band. So. Um, and with, with, the, with the Triple Crown full length, it was self-titled at the time. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was, I think, and I'm sure Chuck will chime in too, but a lot of it was because it was, it really felt like we were finally Orange Island, so to speak. Like we had finally found our sound and it, it made a lot of sense for that to be a self-titled album. Um, but for this release, it's called One Night Stay. 
um, which also I'm sure Chuck will expound upon. But um, yeah, that's that's sort of the the quick and dirty. And the, and to me, this one is the is the most. Uh, I don't I don't want to call it brutal because it's not like a, a thrashy hardcore record. But there are points on this album that are thrashy and very hardcore sounding. Uh, vocally, not so, but musically, it is an angry fucking record. Uh, more angry, I think, than anything else you guys had done. Can you kind of speak to that? I'd always wondered this, like why this one seemed so like vicious, comparatively speaking. Uh, that's a good question. I think we always had that in us, and we we're maybe like exercising some poppier demons on the road to get there. Um, but I think from a music standpoint, the guitar player who wrote, you know, all of the music, he liked heavier stuff. Um, I think a lot of that too was maybe insecurity. We kind of wanted to be badasses more than I think we really <laughs> were, to be honest. Um, so I think for this record, we made a conscious decision. I remember kind of being like, no acoustic guitars, no, you know, piano stuff. It's just going to be, um, you know, loud and, and that kind of stuff. But I think, yeah, vocally, we always wanted it to have melody and for it to be as palatable as possible. So we weren't turning off any audiences or anything like that. We, we certainly didn't want to be like a screamy sort of thrash band or anything like that. We wanted to be a rock band. Um, and I think, yeah, we were probably pretty fucking pissed at, you know, we're talking probably 21, 22 years old. Um, in that kind of purgatory period between being a kid and being an adult and, you know, things not lining up maybe the way you th thought they would or anything like that. So, I mean, I, I like that you think it's fucking angry and brutal. Like that makes me really happy to be honest. And well, yeah, especially after the first two releases, which, you know, we were obviously just, I shouldn't say obviously, because uh, anyone listening to this probably wouldn't know this, but we were finding our way to a sound, I think is the most important thing was um, the first EP, it was like, holy shit, someone will put our songs out and, and, and we have to write songs. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then, of course, when you're not like trained musicians and you just pick up instruments and start playing them because music motivates you so deeply that you just feel the need to play music. So you just, I, I don't know, I think you choose whatever uh, feels right for you. Um, I know like Chuck, in Chuck's case, his dad played the drums. So, you know, I don't want to speak for Chuck, but I'm sure that that was an, an easy place for him to go and... Um, you know, it's just, it's like the idea of thinking about who you are as a musician before you've ever even played music is, yeah. is a weird thing to think about, but it's, I feel like for most humans, it's true, right? Like it's predestined. I'm the son of a drummer as well, a jazz drummer. In fact, uh, there, I always had the predilection to be a bass player. Um, I didn't carry that throughout the entirety of my music career. I mostly was the vocalist of every band I was in, but I started with the bass and the piano because dad was a musician yeah. grandpa was a musician you know it's i think i think it is a, a part of uh who you are intrinsically 
Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think for us, you know, definitely in the beginning, it was like, there was such a, a, a deep, uh, I don't know, like soul driven uh, drive to make music and create music with your friends and people that you care about and you love and you have this love of similar styles of music together. But then when you get in a room, you don't know what is going to come out. Right. And you don't even know in our case, we didn't even know what the fuck we were doing. So the easiest thing to do is, is play like fast songs and just try to like get through them as quickly as we can have some fun, like breakdowns and moments um, coming through, of course, that time frame of the mid to late nineties and into the early two thousands where, you know, music was so all over the place. You were going from, uh, like grunge was was popular of course popular like you know Pearl Jam in Seattle and Nirvana and all that stuff and then it went into you know uh in sync and fucking Backstreet Boys and all this crazy shit in terms of like popular music but mm. on 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 the you know the the indie side of things of course it's like Nirvana was also popular on that side but then that shifts to like sunny day real estate and and um whatever hot water music and all these different things and you're you're trying to figure out like what you like and what you want to play and but then you realize like what your restraints are for your ability to play as kids and as untrained musicians and so it was i think for us it was just about like let's just let, let's see what happens and then you end up playing like these really fast like sort of almost like pop punk kind of sounding songs because it's just the easiest thing to do when you don't really know what you're doing Absolutely. um so so it took us a while to really hone in what our sound should be what we wanted it to be and who we were going to be as a band um and for me in those early days as much as i enjoyed all of it because it was really fun just working through all of that, it definitely to me wasn't until we got to this album that you know the vinyl ultimately is released on, where it felt like we were in the pocket, where it was this is what we want to make, this is what Orange Island is heading towards, and this is you know the, our first sort of I don't know I feel like for me our first real like step towards being a band. And like, if you could kind of take me back to where you were at before, where you're talking about, you know, being young musicians, working it out, what, what were you into? Where was your head at? Like when you, this, this process of discovery is going on when you're first wanting to play music, what was that first moment, uh, that first band, that first song that said to you, okay, I want to fucking play now, you know, that, that really instilled that in you. I think all the time about a very specific moment and it's real quick and real simple. Um, I discovered this amazing music store that now has become a, a very different thing years and years later, but Newberry Comics. Um, I, I, I went into Newberry Comics and I, and, I, and I made a couple of friends in the store that I went into initially and I remember going in, it was my second time going into Newberry Comics. And I, just real quick, the first time I went in, it was like, dude, it's like, uh, it was like finding the promised land. I was like, holy shit, here's a place that is not only playing music in the store that's really fucking cool, and it's loud enough that it like, 
is louder than it should be, but not mm. so loud that it's, it's obnoxious, but you're like, you're in the right place. And then you look around and you see, I don't know, fucking like misfits posters on the wall and, and whatever is going on in the world right now. And there's imports and you're looking at stuff and you're like, how does this even exist in the world? My second time going into Newbury comics as a 17 year old, um, my now new friend who I had met there turned me onto Jimmy world static prevails. Mm. And I left the store with that CD and I put it in my CD chain, my, you know, my CD player in my car and I drove home listening to it and was just floored by track after track after track. And by the time I got to the last track, I was basically back in town, back home in Clinton. And I was just like somewhere between like sobbing and ecstatic because this music was moving me in a way that music had never moved me before. And music had moved me and listening to great music for many years as a young kid and being lucky to have been, um, I don't know. My dad definitely turned me on to a lot of great music as a kid, but this was the first time I, I had discovered something and granted someone sh told me about it, but I felt like this was mine. This was like a special thing. And if I, I don't know if I have this right or not, and Chuck will probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I went right to Chuck and picked him up and we got in my car and I played static and we just drove around and listened to static prevails and we're like blown away by what we were listening to. And that to me was like the first moment of realizing what kind of music I would want to make personally. For me, we're talking eighth grade. There was a band in town in our town, Clinton, older kids, so it was like sort of legendary without even having to hear, like not even hearing a note. It was already like legendary. And we were like skater kids in, in the eighth grade. And there was a show going on in town. And we thought shows were always either 18 plus or 21 plus or whatever. And, and one of our little skater punk friends came up and was like, I got into the show and showed his little ex or whatever. And we said, you know, no fucking way. So we skated down there and, um, you know, it was right next to like a video store or whatever. And I went in there and I had no idea, you know, my concerts were Def Leppard and maybe Bush and stuff like that. Um, so I just walked into this like towny bar and it was packed and it was sort of insane. And I stood on a chair and just sort of took it all in. And that was the blueprint for me because that was the first time it was sort of tangible. Like, I don't know how you become a Bush. I don't know how you become a Def Leppard. Like I, I have no idea how that happens, but this I could sort of see a through line to like, oh shit, I, I, I can do that. Like I can just go down to a towny bar and like play loud and, and have people freak out. So that's what it was for me. And we sort of immediately started, there was like two or three bands in eighth grade we were all sort of mix and match like the bass player my i was in this band called ice cream headache we called ourselves and really we just played in my my parents basement and like the quote-unquote singer was just screaming cookie monsters dead and he broke my like one of my parents glass tables and shit and we'd steal my dad's beers and stuff like that um so i was in ice cream headache two of the other members were in like another band and then other members so it was like we, we were jigsawed around and cast iron hike 
knowing that we were like their bread and butter was like yo the first band that can come up with a five song set or whatever can open when when we play the gym so it was like this huge rush ice cream headache crumbled under the pressure um some other bands did and then a super group fucking formed and they (laughs) they were able to play the play the show and then they started playing shows so i was playing you know i was sort of playing music since like seventh grade or sixth grade, I was playing the drums and then, you know, that shitty band in the eighth grade. And then that turned into sort of jamming with people. And and that's when my cousin, uh, Brendan came in, who was the guitar player. So we were always, I just always thought this is what I was going to do. I'm going to be in a, I'm going to play music. Um, and then, yeah, tastes definitely started evolving, I would say. And Dave had a big, played a big role in that with, um you know finding new music and making mixtapes and so that became our sort of our deal so when i was jamming with my cousin on whatever friday nights i was riding around the streets with dave on saturday nights listening to music um so i just envisioned him being sort of a part of it and it took you know a little bit like hey we're starting to write some songs i hope you will maybe sing and whatever um yeah, and and I'm playing him shitty recordings that we we plus you know record on a boombox. I'm like fucking check this out, and it's body He's like, but, yeah, sh- okay, cool. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll be a singer. And I was like, no fucking way. Until we you know, but honestly, genuine recording. I I gotta jump in here though because like I'll never forget getting a phone call from Chuck, and he was like, I think we have a, a, like a, like a real song and I really want you to hear it. And I just got a four track. This was literally like this, like the size of like a fucking laptop. These a Fox like this little, I think it was a Tascam. Maybe? Oh, Tascam. Yeah. yeah. Tascam, yeah. Um, this, you know, just very rudimental four track and he got it either for Christmas or it was somewhere. It was definitely right around Christmas time. Cause he called me and I, I remember coming over to his house, to his parents' house and going down in the basement and listening to what they had recorded. And I, I knew, I knew it, I knew it was important because, or I knew he was like proud of it because I know he wouldn't have called me and been like, come listen to this if it didn't matter. And I remember getting there and going down in the basement and like, hanging out for a bit, you know, like seeing his dad and just shooting the shit and doing whatever. And then listening to what they had recorded. And I was like, Holy shit, this is fucking great. And as someone who me in this situation, who has like no skill as a vocalist other than I've just loved music in my heart and soul from the second I remember listening to good music and spending countless hours with music, learning lyrics, learning melodies, memorizing them in my head, not realizing that I was probably in some weird fucked up way training myself to be a vocalist, which I probably still was never a great vocalist in any way, shape or form. But in this moment, it just, it all made sense. It was very simple and it was easy. And in this one small moment, we created this little snippet of a song 
And, you know, not to like get too deep into it, but it's like, you know, you said Merry Christmas, like this moment of this song of this thing that Chuck and Brandon had written and Chuck was caring enough and willing enough to bring me into it and say like, I want you to hear it and I want you to sing on it and I want you to be a part of it. And I remember, I just remember that moment so vividly and the feeling of listening to what they created and as small and as simple as it was in that moment, it felt so fucking amazing and overwhelming to me. And for some strange reason, a vocal melody hit me and I'm sure I was probably stealing or borrowing from somebody like we all do, but you know, whatever came out came out and we recorded it on that little four track. And I still, to this day, think of it as like one of my favorite moments of all time, because if that never happened, then none of this would have ever happened. And it's like you're let in on a secret, right? Yeah, because, totally. Because before then, like, you know, you enjoy listening to music, but the mechanic, even though you could play an instrument, even like the mechanics of it are still kind of lost on you until yeah. that four tracks in your hands. And, I think and there's also building. something about like for us as sort of untrained musicians, if you will. Um, and I use musicians loosely um, as untrained people playing music. Um, I, the idea, you know, when you're young, of course, like you just think you can do whatever the fuck you want, right? Like okay. I want to do this. We're going to do it. I want to do this. I'm going to do it. Like we're going to make it happen. Um, but I still, in a lot of ways, I'm shocked, I guess, that it was as easy as it was in the moment for it to just so, uh, I hate to use this word, but organically just happened. Yeah. Um, and then that, you know, just led to jamming and practicing in Chuck's parents' basement and God bless them for putting up with us for so long. Um, you know, and then it went, you know, obviously it went from there and, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds in that, but I just, I feel like that moment is so crucial and so important, at least for me personally. Um, again, it's, it wasn't just um, the ease of the moment of like recording something. It was also just being asked to be a part of something when you, you don't really think it's a big deal because it's something so small and simple in that moment, but it, it just meant the world to me. Yeah, it's, it's very transformative to like finally find something that feels like it's your place. Yeah. You know, like <clears throat> I, I, I know people who are my age who haven't had that moment yet. You know, 46 year old men wandering the earth. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just work a day, work week, uh, you know, getting by to get by. And that's for the sake of it. Uh, but to actually find something and, and glean purpose from it, that's, that's major. Uh, yeah, we we may actually take that for granted as as creative people, as musicians, because I don't think everyone gets that. And yeah, no, agreed. I mean, I just I was always um, as as the the like weeks and months went on. I I remember thinking to myself, I was like floored at um, not only because Chuck was becoming one of my best friends at this time in life, just as a person. But I didn't realize how good of a drummer he was. I didn't realize his ability to uh, turn a phrase like with words and, and ultimately lyrics, you know, down the road. And and then his cousin Brendan, like I, I I knew Brendan through his older siblings. Like I knew that he existed. I mm -hmm. guess is the better way to say it. 
but it was only at this point that we started to get to know each other and become friends and watching his growth from like that first day of being in in chuck's basement to even just a few months later i mean he just he just kept getting better and better and better and it was just leaps and bounds and his ability to write these unreal killer fucking rock riffs it was just I, like chuck would call me and be like yo bren just recorded another sick fucking demo i'm gonna like come pick me up and let's listen to it it was just those moments were god like the best they were the best moments whenever he would call me and be like i've I, you need to listen to this let's listen to this let's work on lyrics or let's work on melodies like let's whatever just or just here it is like let's hear let's hear another thing that he just created it was it was special it was really fucking amazing to be a part of and the, i and think go, oh go sorry ahead. no go ahead i think i think for me too like finding your people sort of early like finding people that value the same things that you do like for me it was I'm in this world, I found my people, and now how do I, it was like a conversation that was going on that I, that they let me in on almost, like you open a door and you're involved in this conversation. I was like, how can I, how do I now like have a voice in this though too? What it's doing for me, like other people's music is transforming me. How do I make things that maybe can carry that on and transform other people? Um, and and I, I feel like, <clears throat> you nailed it. I'm not crying. My my voice is keeps cracking because I'm I'm sick. But um, people have cried, lying. People have lying. cried on here. We before. cry all the yeah. time, bro. Yeah, I just want to. I yeah. I don't know why I had a. Uh, hey, everybody at I home. I'm not crying. I'll cry at some point. Yeah. Um. You know. But I think you you nailed it with like purpose. It just felt like that was sort of the purpose, and like I couldn't. I couldn't fucking sleep. You know what I mean? Like I just had to, I was just constantly trying to cook stuff up and it was a very fruitful time of, you know, Bren definitely trying to get better in his craft, me trying to get better in my craft. You know, I was lucky where Bren felt like he needed me when he probably really didn't, but he like, you know, when you make something yourself, you can't hear it with, the, the ears that you'd need to, you know what I mean? So he would play stuff and record it and kind of come to me going like, I don't know, maybe it's something. And I would listen and go, Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. No, this part rules and this part and you're, you know, um, so then trying to get better at just like figuring out what part is what, and, and then listening to songs in a different way, cutting them up in, in your head, like, Oh, what is, I remember just listening to songs and going, wait, what the hell is that? How, and how do I do that? You know what I mean? Like learning what a fucking bridge is, you know? It was think, also, it was like our fucked up version of pre-production. Like, oh yeah, big time. And pre-production like is rudimentary like pre-production. My jam. Like, ah. <laughs> I fucking love pre-production. And this record that we're putting out, like that was the first time we really dedicated a lot of time to pre-production where we really were putting things under a microscope. Um, you know, had sort of the time and sort of the resources to do that. And I think that's why it was so uh, important. And, you know, to go back to you saying it's an angry record, it's brutal and that kind of stuff. And, you know, and us kind of talking about, yeah, that's what we wanted to do. The next record we did, that Rise EP is not brutal and not fucking angry, you know? So it's like, okay, how how is that only a year later and you're not angry? And, and the answer to that is, 
we had we had gotten it out of us we had like defined we finally were like defined ourselves and that like freed up a whole bunch of creative stuff we didn't feel that pressure anymore so going in to do that rise ep it was like yeah break out the acoustic guitar break out a slide guitar like who gives a shit you know um so it 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 all that stuff was there but once we finally kind of nailed it then it was we could go on to to different things and evolve um you know and it's and it's too bad that we we couldn't do more or turn that into something or who knows what would have happened if we sort of stuck to it um you know it's funny i think all the time about how um and not even uh, this obviously isn't just about a like a band thing or a musician thing um people finding their comfort zone or their stride um when you're in a group or a collective right whether it's two people three people four people 20 people um usually it's it, varying times right like so and so gets comfortable at this point so and so is comfortable here so and so is like timing when you were brought into the thing when you started in the thing how much involvement you have in the thing whatever it is right um i think it's probably rare for at least in our case a band where everybody really just like falls into the right space all at the same time and i may be um I may be revisiting history in a way that I'm not fully remembering it for everybody else, but I know for me recording. So recording the, the full length for triple crown, which is the re-release, uh, you know, for Casey one night stay was the first time that I was on the precipice of feeling like I might be able to become a vocalist that when I hear our songs recorded, I don't cringe. And I genuinely mean that. And I'm not saying that in a way where I'm like looking for like a pat on the back. Like it's just the truth, right? Um, everything we had recorded previous to that, I never felt comfortable with. Um, sadly, the only thing I probably ever felt comfortable with was a cover that we recorded. And that's just because I knew the melody and I knew the lyrics and I knew everything so well that it just was easy. Yeah. Um, so anyways, we were lucky in in recording th this album where we had a, a little bit of a budget for the very first time. Um, and it allowed me and afforded me the opportunity to go and get some vocal lessons from a vocal instructor who has worked with some insane artists and I'm not going to name drop, but the point of it is, I think I remember I know you're talking about actually <laughs> female. Uh, no, I was actually oh, a guy. No. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, he, New York City. Uh, I mean, he's worked with um, whatever Beyonce, Elton John, uh, Justin Timberlake, yada yada yada, forever and ever and ever. Like stupid amount of people. Um, I remember walking into his room, feeling super intimidated, and the second we like started speaking, he just said, "Listen, I'm not going to teach you to become a great singer." I'm going to teach you how to become the best rock singer that you can be. Yeah. And I was like, everything inside of me that was built up and anxious and like holding on to all the stress, like I'm in a place I don't belong in. And I walk in this fucking room and he, it, dude, it's like 
it's like floor to ceiling signed autographed photos. And I'm like, oh, there's Elton John. Oh, there's fucking Steven Tyler. Oh, there's Justin Timberlake. Oh, there's Lady Gaga. Oh, there's Beyonce. Like, oh yeah, I belong here. That makes tons of sense, right? But he walks in the room and he was just like, I'm not gonna teach you anything that you don't need to know. I'm gonna teach you what you need to know to be the best you you can be. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, I think I can get behind that. And it took me a little time to get comfortable, but once I figured it out, and once I really just like let it go and learn from him, I was like, shit, all right. It definitely unlocked something for me on that, that piece of it. And then I feel like I really was able to carry that forward into the recording, the, you know, the rest of the recording process of that record. But the truth is, is I still felt like a little in between at times on the recording of that album. Like there were, when I listen back to it, there's some takes where I'm like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> like if I could do that again, if I could have just done that one more time. We all do that. I, we know, all I know, do that. I know, I know, I know. But, but it was like, it was just that like in between phase, but all of this is to say that like the, not to harp on the last recording, but once we got to that, that last session we did, which was that rise EP, Dude, I, I don't know why, but I, I had one day to do five songs of vocal takes, which is really absurd in a lot of ways. Astronomical. I just was like, <laughs> this is, yeah, let's do this. I got this. Let's fucking go. I, there was, I don't know. I just felt confidence for the first time in my ability to be the singer of our band. And it was really freeing and really fucking beautiful. And man, it felt great. And I, I will like, I think about that a lot and how like special that moment was for me and how special that recording was because it just came out of nowhere. Like the opportunity to record those songs, it wasn't like a long scheduled thing. It was like Matt Squire being like, Hey, I have some time. And we were like, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's get some songs down because we're, we're writing stuff and we're going to make another record at some point, of course. So like, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, I have this window and, and, and we just showed up and Chuck go, sorry. Sorry. It, it, we're, it, I may be, we, I may, I may be misremembering. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. Let me clarify a little bit. It was supposed to be demos that we already had recorded. So rise reached out and was like, I there's unreleased demos. Can we put them out? And I was like, yes. And then we had, we had two tracks from the full length session that had drums and bass that we never finished with the guitars or whatever. So they were like, Oh, do you have anything else? I was like, maybe we can get some time to like finish these two songs. Right. Cause I think we had maybe a fucking weekend. Right. So I, I called Squire and I said, hey. it was literally three days. It was Friday. It was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So we went down there just to add some guitars to drum and bass tracks that already existed and maybe do one more song. And that was it. So I, I drove down there going like, I'm going to play drums on one song. We're going to like do a cover of an old song and that'll be it. And we can do that in three days and get the fuck out of there. We get down there. Oh, cause we once... were going to try to do stand up, right? Like a re no, we were going to do soap opera. Oh, so, so, I'm sorry. Yeah. Soap opera. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So I was like, okay, yeah, we can do that. And I was stressed as fuck already just going down. Like, do we have enough time and all that kind of stuff? We get down there and <laughs> Squire goes, I don't think we should use those demos. And Bren goes, yeah, I don't want to use those demos either. <laughs> I go, well, what the fuck are we going to do? And then it was like, okay, well, now we got to record. You know, we've sort of promised them five songs. 
So now we got to do new stuff. And Squire's like, yeah, let's not use the drum and bass takes from the recording either. I'm like, fucking dude, you're killing me. <laughs> so we went and we re-recorded those um, drum and bass tracks. Then we did like a cover of one of our songs. So we had three and I didn't know where two, the other two were going to come from. And Dave was like, oh, Bren, you have that thing in the van like you played one time and Bren's like, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about. So Dave oh my runs, God, that's right. Yeah, Dave runs, gets a CD, plays it for him. And he goes, oh yeah, I remember that. So we went in and fucked around with that for a little bit until it was a song. And then Bren was like, I got something in my head right now that if I don't get out, it's going to disappear. And I went, okay, cool. What's it about? He goes, it's acoustic. I went, okay. And he got an acoustic guitar and played a song. And by that time we knew like, we knew how to play the click tracks and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't have to do it. The, we weren't married to the way we sort of used to do it where I, I would have to do my drum takes and then, you know, get the bass and all that kind of stuff. So he could go in and play it to a click track and then we could just add shit and take shit out and all that kind of stuff. So then, yeah, we had a whole new thing. And again, it was like, it was so freeing. And I think we were so, you know, we had reached a point where we were more confident in like our abilities. I, I, I think not just you, Dave, I think sort of everybody. And we had our, we had like a system worked out. And I think the, the cards were stacked against Dave in since the beginning, because we didn't know enough. We didn't know enough to play to our strengths. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. Dave as a person, as you can probably tell, he's a very earnest very sweet man, you know what I mean? Very um, lovely gentleman. And you would think we would, and, and in the beginning we were playing more sort of slower stuff, more like minerally um, stuff, you know, like doing the, doing the quiet, loud, quiet, loud kind of thing. Yeah. And Dave's voice, you know, sounded good and all that kind of stuff. And he was writing his, his own melodies and all that kind of stuff and, and trying to figure it out. And then, almost immediately it was like we were getting you know then we're then we hear hot rod circuit for the first time and error type 11 and we're like oh we should let's do stuff like that like they're just getting wasted and having a good time and that's what well, that's chuck, in our that's in our chuck, fucking blood chuck do you remember this song that we wrote for everything you thought you knew that was like such a quicksand vibe yeah and it was like because we loved quicksand so fucking much as a collective and because I know I, and I'm sure everybody else in our band, I mean, I had a fucking hard on for Walter and I probably still do honestly I, to this I day. I have, I wore, <laughs> dude, you see my Gorilla Biscuits? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I, I mean like. Quicksand what, is the quintessential hardcore band. They're the greatest band ever thank to come you. out of the exactly. scene. Like, yeah. So, I mean, we all were like, like, you know, just slip and manic compression, whatever, like oozing over what, like Walter has this just cool, that just fucking pours out of him. Yep. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, like Bren started writing some riffs that felt quicksandy. And so like Chuck and I would talk about like vocals always the whole time that we were in a band and he would be like, so like, let's, let's try for like a Walter vibe here. And I would try, but like, it was the best, I could ever do was like a fucking D minus, honestly. Like, and that, I mean, that's, I'm not, not being like, you know, hard on myself. I'm being real. Like I, I am not Walter Schreifels. I can't do that. Yeah. I wanted to try to do that. And I wanted to like 
find a way to be in that world, but that was not for me. I mean, and, and it, it, the only way to find that out is to try and, and realize you can't fucking do it. But of course, when you're in it, in that moment and you're younger and you're so insecure, and at least for me, super fucking insecure about like everything relating to playing music, writing music, whatever, I just felt inadequate. So fast forwarding to, you know, recording the full length that we're talking about today and then even into this EP session that Chuck was just talking about, like getting that confidence or at least a little bit of confidence and then building on that for me was massive because it's just like, I saw what Brendan was writing. I saw what Chuck was writing lyrically and on his drum set. And I wanted to match them. Like I wanted to get to that next level and it just, took me longer, which is what it is. It's fine. I'm, I'm totally cool with it, but I feel like I finally got there at, sort of at the very end, which for me kind of sucks in a lot of ways, but like, um, you know, just the process of like getting there. But I also real quick, want to say that I respect the shit out of Chuck and Bren um, and, and whoever else in the incarnations of Orange Island that were a part of the process because they never, like, nobody ever made me feel less than. Mm. It, was, it was only me being my harshest critic. I just didn't know how to be a better singer until somebody finally gave me the opportunity to learn how to be a better singer yeah. and to show me the, you know, the, the way a bit and then once i like had an understanding of what i needed to do then i could harp on practicing and then all of a sudden i was way more fucking comfortable being a singer and 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 really felt like i really was owning it for the first time so i just wish i was able to kind of get there sooner i guess in the timeline of things but um you know it is what it is that's like i think too we're we're talking about a time where you know late 90s that kind of stuff everything was like the diy ethic and it, it no one felt like a good singer you know what i mean mm, you weren't yeah. you weren't listening to promise ring and going like that dude fucking yeah bro no and you weren't you you know and like piebald and god bless piebald piebald rules but one of the one of the funnest parts about listening to piebald you know um not live like obviously seeing them live is super fun because they're fun fucking dudes but you felt like you could sing those songs just as good as travis could sing them because it was it was almost like purposefully off key so it was never it was never like let's find the most talented people on earth yeah. let's find this someone that has the fucking itch yeah. to get it out not everybody could be david moore from split lip and chamberlain now that guy is perfect. oh jesus oh, dude. <laughs> don't you don't you dare how dare you now you're yeah. speaking our language dave, yeah. dave was on the show uh oh was he really a couple oh, months nice. ago yeah yeah i i love david Moore. like i my son and i were in uh one of their music videos off the new record actually oh Fuck that's yeah. amazing but well, you're we also talking. speaking Brendan's language, who is not here right now, but hopefully he'll listen to this and be like, oh, man. oh shit. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I got a phone call. Chamberlain was playing. This was years and years and years ago. And Chamberlain was playing in Cambridge or Boston or somewhere. And people were like, oh, are you fucking going? I was like, no, I'm not fucking going. I have a baby and I can't do that. <laughs> and um, I got a voicemail. I don't know if I listened to it the next day or, or what I did, but I, there was a voicemail and it's Brendan. He goes, he goes, hey, someone wants to talk to you. And it's D 
David Moore gets on the phone. He's like, he's like, hey, Chuck, wish you could have come to the show or whatever. And then all of a sudden, an acoustic guitar starts playing and they start like playing one of the songs. And I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? So I asked him about it and like, I don't know, they ran into him at an alley or they ran into it him was at a bar. House of Blues. It was House of Old School House of Blues in Boston. Yeah. They saw them in the alleyway and they ended up hanging out in the alleyway playing yeah, so Brent had his a guitar, so they yeah. started playing songs. Yeah, it was, I, it was silly. And one of I think I one of our old David one Moore of our old bass players, uh Jay Broderick was there too. I just I was like, what a fucking trip this is. Yeah, it's funny. In the 90s, <laughs> I I ran into David. Well, didn't run into him. We were all hanging out at a hardcore show, and he stayed at my buddy's house, and we ended up talking about like poetry all night and trading oh hell yeah stuff. it was we we're just nerdy but we were talking about yeah. quicksand before and it just so happened i have a manic compression t-shirt sitting oh, right oh, next to it. i was like oh my god <laughs> there it is right there it's just hilarious yeah no i and i think what's funny about is like we were definitely always trying to and like we're small town massachusetts dudes and we really wanted this new york city swagger mm -hmm. you know like this hip hop fucking swagger over these quicksand you know, tribe called post, quest orange yeah, nine millimeter like shove it all together yeah music <laughs> chocolate and was on the show too actually for more i listened to that one yeah, that was the first episode one. chuck listened to that and he was like you have to listen to that one i was like yeah, oh I listened shit. To that one. yeah so we were we were like we were trying to get some of that swagger from dudes that just don't have just don't have that swagger <laughs> you know it's it's like it's like having the dude from the promise ring and going like, yeah, now bring some New York city swagger to now, it. Let's now, go. Yeah. Now spit yeah, bring some, yeah, yeah, bring some hip hop to yeah. this. It's just not going to work. So, Hey Davey, can you add some bass to that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we, we just didn't know what we were doing. And it's like, I was trying to write melodies because I was, I was writing more of the words. I wasn't good at melody. So I'm giving Dave shit melodies to sing i'm giving him words that aren't his words that he's supposed to sell you know it, it wasn't it it definitely the insecurity was because of all those awful decisions right we recorded a crimson and clover cover and yeah it sounded so fucking good and you would think if we were smart and if i could go back in time we would go like oh you know it we would be a much more interesting band if we went let's take this sort of energy like what's this tremolo shit you were we're up right. to and this acoustic guitar and these big airy drums like just trying to throw that together we had done you know like um punk goes fucking journey style covers before like <laughs> uh, you know what i mean we had did we had done that ironic cover shit that everyone was doing but this was the first time it was like let's do a cover and let's like match it like let's match the original let's have it be psychedelic let's have it do all this stuff and we're doing it in a room and with people that don't know how to record that music so it, it really was just like i think we do this and maybe we turn this fucking knob and hey i'll put these mics way the fuck back here and well, I, chuck, I remember chuck do you yep. remember do you remember pepecky showing up with his big muff yeah pepecky's got his big muff out uh josh english josh there josh english showed up vocals. and gave, gave us backup vocals like it all became so fucking perfect like this funny random like cover song all of a sudden turned into like a beautiful moment that now again with time looking back on it like i think chuck is leading to is like 
shit, we should have taken, we should have just taken more, I don't know, insight from that moment and, yeah. and carried that to whatever, you know, was coming next. But for me personally, I didn't, it was like a one-off like, oh yeah, we're going to do this. And it felt yeah, it was comfortable a goofy, and easy. It was like a goofy thing that we really right. loved and we liked. Um, but yeah, if, if I could do it over, I would go like, let's re-record all of these songs like this. What What is this fast, like pop punky song going to sound like if we do it like Tommy James and the Shondells? You know, that would have been a more interesting EP um, now, certainly in 2022. But back then it was like, no, we got to show people that yeah, no, we're loud and we got all this kind of shit going on and whatever. Last time I'm going to do this, look what else was sitting next to me. Tribe Called Quest t-shirt. Oh, shit. Oh, look nice. at this. Fucked See? up, ah. right? Yeah, we knew. There's some, we weird, there's some weird shit going on. There's here. some juju happening. <laughs> big time. Chuck and some I are here big for juju. all that shit. Let's get the energy. Let's now, flow it. Now, listen, what is this making you guys feel now, though? Like, you know does it make you just want to go out and play again? Like, does it really make you want to write a record again? Because I would, I can imagine if I started playing again with guys I played with 20 years ago, uh, something gets re-released. I know I'd be thinking like, fuck, why don't we go do it again in our forties? And I know it seems ridiculous and it seems impossible to a lot of people, but is that something that kicks around? Like, should we just play again? Should we just do this again? doesn't for me <laughs> um it i knew i knew i was gonna let him go first because i know the yeah. answer <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't for me only because what started for me was a recognition that i valued being moved and 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 i didn't know how to articulate it and when you're 15 14 15 year old dude and small alcoholic sport america the least vulnerable thing you can do when you real when you realize you value being moved is play loud fucking music with your friends. You know what I'm saying? And that to me ended up just being a gateway. Like I did all that and I took it very seriously and I thought it was going to be my livelihood. I thought it was going to be my life. Um, and then once it sort of ended, I was, I had the confidence then to just go like, I could sit down and go, what's your favorite part about being in a band? Writing. Okay. And I was, I went to film school. What was your favorite part of film school? Writing. Oh, dirt dumbass. You're just a fucking writer. You know what I mean? And, and I, and, and also quick aside, an incredible writer, David, how dare you? I not, love in front you of, not in front of my friends. Listen in front of everyone. <laughs> um, so, so for me, it sort of stripped that away and uh, the need to play music in order to to do that stripped away i did do music i the next project that i was involved in was our guitar player not bren did a band with dave's cousin and i saw them live and i was like oh this is pretty cool and then their drummer happened to leave and joe was like you wouldn't want to play drums and i was like maybe i fucking would maybe i just want to be a drummer <laughs> like because i i wasn't just a drummer of orange island i was like yeah maybe i just want to be a drummer and i went and played drums and like i couldn't help it i started like fucking stuff up and remixing songs and and like the dude that was playing bass quit because he got so fired up over it he was like oh uh, Lindsay's gonna I don't know what she's gonna feel and I'm like whatever dude you like 
there's no chorus. Let's make a chorus. And he's like, I can't fucking do this. And he, he left. So I made a dude quit. <laughs> I joined a band, then immediately made a dude quit because I, I couldn't help it. And, um, you know, we did some Chuck, s- Chuck can't detach. He can't just be, I can't, I can't it's not possible. It so I did, possible. I did that. And I was a drummer for that band. And then it was like, it wanted to be a serious thing that I just couldn't, I couldn't do. So I stopped. Then a little while after that, me and Bren started just writing songs and recording songs. And my idea mm-hmm. for that, I love, I love writing songs. So we would just sit down with an acoustic guitar and we would write acoustic songs and my idea was like, let's write some songs and then let's like give them to these producers that we know. Let's just give, let's just sell songs. Mm. And I really liked going back to writing to music. And then as things do, you know, especially with Bren, he gets all excited and he goes, you know, I loved them as just acoustic songs. I loved them as just like, yeah, maybe let's play some fucking keyboard on this and whatever. He's like, oh, but think about how sick it would sound with fucking two guitars and a fucking bass and whatever. So I was like, <laughs> I guess. So we became like this bluesy sort of bar band that was writing songs. And the next thing I knew, I was in a fucking band again. And I was like, what? How do I keep ending up here? Like, what am I doing? And that And that was like the end of it, where then it was like, okay, I just can't what it what like what is happening why do i end up in these scenarios where then you know then i'm in this like full-time band somehow so for me it it doesn't have that sort of like itch because i can the stuff that i get fulfillment out of i can do sort of on my own and i and that's a bummer and i know it's a bummer like i would have fun and we did some reunion shows and we did a reunion show and I couldn't get out of my head when, when I was playing the drums. So I just like couldn't, it, it wasn't fun for me. Like it didn't, and that was when I was like, I can't, I don't know what this is, but I don't like it. Like I ju- it just wasn't the fun way. When I would be in my head in the days where we're playing and stuff, it would make me beat the shit out of things and really and really play it out. And it would be this cathartic, thing which is what we were always sort of going for you know it was a selfish endeavor we we're just sort of looking for catharsis every time we we played or practiced or whatever um and then this reunion show didn't do that i was like in my head in a like a bad way and i and it that's when i went like i don't think this is sort of for me with that being said when everybody when we were doing this release and people were sort of going like yeah i'd fucking get together again or whatever then yeah i was like psyched about it where it'd be like yeah that'd be fun to just show up and revisit i think i'm in a different headspace now that it would be sort of fun and and you know there's no pretension like we get to be sort of goofy i was a pretentious fuck back then i feel like so (coughs) it'd be fun to have fun with it again and be sort of um you know be sort of silly with it but i just think it's you know with five dudes with all different shit going on it's like once it was like yeah maybe you can rent some drums and whatever i was like i don't know how to do that and i don't you know and bren's like i don't want to carry things you know what i mean it's at that point it's just like i don't want to have to carry shit and i don't know how to rent things and i don't where are we gonna be it's like logistical stuff you know where before it was like, yeah, well, let's rent this fucking dungeon and everybody has their shit and we we don't care about carrying things and and we're going to buy two bottles of Pinot Grigio on a Friday night and drink them. You know what I mean? It, it, had its, <laughs> it had a shine to it that now 
seeing 40 almost two-year-old English teacher me show up to a dungeon with a bottle of Pinot Grigio like let's play some fucking songs where we talk about getting wasted with our friends you know that just seems a little out of um just seems a little out of pocket a little bit at, at this point I think the music holds up like I'm glad we reissued this record and I, I'm not embarrassed by it you know there's a couple lines in there where I'm like, oh God, like, you know, I you know, probably as probably a fellow writer, what we all, we all suffer that too. Um, yeah. Especially, you yeah. know, it's, it was different. Think about how many times the word horror was in a bunch of songs that you knew Go, you panic look, in the disco. You got Paramore. Look horror. at glass jaw. Look at glass jaw. They had right. a whole album that like would get them canceled now. Yeah, and, exactly. And actually, it sort of does. Like they, well, that, yeah, they that's shine a whole, over that's that. That's a whole pick and choose culture, right? Of like yeah. who gets called out, who doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. Not that I want to go down that avenue, but like that is a whole thing, um, which I think is kind of fucked up. Like who 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 gets called out, who doesn't? Um, but to to talk about um, the stuff Chuck was just talking about, I just real briefly, I want so badly to be in a room with these four other motherfuckers who I love to just be in a room together. Like no expectations, no playing Orange Island songs, no playing any songs, no uh, whatever for a reason. Like I just want to be with the people I love as often as I can. Um, so for me, the idea of us getting back together to like play music, I was always on board for it because I just wanted to be with my friends. And the idea of whether it was rehashing music we've already written and just playing it together or potentially creating something new or potentially just fucking, you know, you know how it is when you're in a, I mean, anybody who's ever played music in a room together with their friends before knows what I'm talking about. Like you're in the room, the door is shut <laughs> and the amps are on and, and, and there's this, this warm oozing feeling of joy that just like sifts up from the ground, that like low bass rumble. And then you hear the different tones of, of the amps just doing their thing. And then you're fucking around on the drums and you're whatever it is like that shit means so much to me and i miss it so much um i don't miss the day-to-day -day, uh rehearsing to be the best band you can be for tour yeah. aspects of practice i miss getting in the room with my best friends and just creating or just playing and feeling that like the feel that that music and and your amps just like it like grounds you and then you feel the vibration like through your feet and up in your body. Like, I don't know, man. Like I, I just, I miss that a lot. And if I'm going to do that again, I can't imagine doing it with anybody else other than the people I've done it with before because they're my best friends. And I just like the idea of, of just being together and creating something or fucking around or just laughing with each other is like i'm here for all of that so when the idea comes up you know this gets presented to you that they want to reissue this 
like what how does that come about casey and i had talked about vinyl reissues for years um um god i mean honestly like so case so casey ended the label and then uh, i mean his like time frame or his whatever his story is like label ended in a shitty way because of nap you know napster hit it fucked over all small independent labels across yep. the fucking world casey got certainly swallowed up in that bullshit um he owed people money he had it was everything was fucked up um he settled everything he moved back home with his mom for a little while got his sh shit in check and then he went and hiked the appalachian trail through hiked it whole thing crazy shit right like that's not a small feat um became a park ranger went on and did all this crazy shit um lived his life did his thing and then circled back i would say a year or so before the pandemic really settled in for all of us he had reached out to me um and was like hey what would you think about doing this and i was like well i think you already know but um obviously i'm on board um you know i'll talk to the i'll talk to brent and chuck but i was like i assume you're reaching out to me because we need to reach out to the powers that be to get the rights for that for that record and he was like well yeah so i did my part on that side um and it took some time um took some conversations some digging yada 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 and then it all finally kind of became uh, realistic uh, at the beginning or early 2020. And then of course we were at the beginning of the pandemic. And I remember having a, a conversation with Casey, I wanna say it was March, 2020, March, April. And uh, he was like, okay, you know, we have everything we need from that side. Um, you know, so now it's just, okay, well, what do we wanna do? Like, what do we wanna do from an artistic standpoint. Um, and I was just like, well, obviously, you know, we have to rope. We, I, I don't know how many conversations Chuck he had had with you at this point, but I was like, of course, Chuck needs to be part of this. Brent needs to be part of this. Joe should be part, like we all need, this is us. Like if we're gonna do this and make it this like really special, cool thing, then everybody needs to be on board. Everybody needs to be involved. Let's make it fucking amazing. Like let's, let's do it if we're gonna do it. Um, so just, I guess in the beginning for me, it was just kind of the logistics of getting the freedom to be able to do it. And once I had gotten that green light and, and passed that on to Casey, then it became, okay, well, where can we go with this? And that's, I'm sure Chuck, you can probably speak to that. Like that's in a lot of ways, I would say where Chuck kind of picked up and was like talking about artwork with Casey and like, you know who we could work with and how we could because the ultimately like the, the initial artwork for that album was was good um but it, it there were some things that we didn't want that ultimately ended up in the artwork and there were some things that we were kind of missing that we felt like should have been there um so the idea of of bringing new art to that release i know to me was very appealing initially and but and I will be honest and I will say that I had very little part in the involvement of the new artwork for it, but holy fucking shit. I, like I couldn't have dreamed up a better layout, 
um, just, I mean, I am floored by the artwork for the new, for the new release. And I, I'm, it's still not out yet, apparently, but, um, you know, there's, uh, among people I know, it, it's pretty hotly, uh, looked forward to, you know, because it is something that we didn't really get to have, uh, back then. I mean, it was released, uh, well, it was released on vinyl, was it not initially? No, no, I, we we never we never really had any proper vinyl release. Um, okay. Everything was uh, CD for the most part. We we did a split seven inch with Garrison. Yeah. Um, outside of that, we had no vinyl release at all. I didn't. Um, I, I really didn't think so because I, I, if you look behind me, I have thousands of records. Yeah. I have everything you ever released, and it's all on CD. So, I always, listen. always, always wanted vinyl. I mean, I grew up on vinyl yeah. um, through my dad, and I still to this day. I mean, I don't have an as extensive a collection as you do, but I, I probably have. I would say realistically, 350, 400 records. Yeah. Um, vinyl to me is the most. If you really fucking care about music and yeah. you care about listening to it on the day to day, there is nothing that compares to listening to a record, yeah. a real record on vinyl. Um, but anyways, not to go off off topic on and down that road, but um, yeah, I, Chuck, I feel like you have there's some you can say here. Um, yeah, I remember talking to you, Dave, like early to probably 2015, 2016. Yeah, you're like, dude, I'm gonna make something happen where we release shit on vinyl. I was like, yeah, okay. And I, just I think wanted it, just, it so bad. <laughs> yeah, so we were gonna try to do it ourselves, or Dave was gonna do it him himself. So it, it just happened to line up with what Casey was gonna try to do. And when Casey would talk to me about reissuing stuff, I thought he was talking about the iodine releases. Like yeah. I thought he wanted to do Shape of Calling and or everything you thought you knew, which would have been cool. I would have liked it. We could oh, yeah. use some fun um shit that we that we cooked up for it back you know 22 years ago and it could be like a really retrospective thing that's what that's what we were kind of kicking around in the beginning like oh some retrospective like i'll get a bunch of pictures we'll make it this fun sort of party thing um so when he was like oh i want it to be the the self-titled i was like okay that's even better that's cool um and then yeah when we were and then we started talking sort of creatively and cooking stuff up like the idea of making a new title for it seemed very foreign to me and very strange i was just like but it's what do you mean like i don't i don't understand what we're doing and it's just me i don't i don't under like from and he had to be like yeah from a marketing standpoint like i gotta i gotta say it's a thing like i can't just say it's self-titled mm -hmm. people are gonna think of that other record and whatever and i go oh okay i kind of get it so yeah. once i was able to wrap my head around that and my brain works in a way that i don't feel like is very marketable so i feel like all the things i was kicking around i feel like it was like a year of like pitching shit to casey and like i was making album covers myself and i was me and colin who played bass in the last iteration he's like an amazing artist so we were like i was like let's do it like this and fucking this that and the other thing and it was always i think casey was going to dave and be like i don't know dude this dude's out of his mind and, and I, I had to finally just be like i had to finally just be like i don't know what 
I'm doing. I don't I like this is the shit that would make me happy, but I understand it's not going to make everybody happy. So you do. I was kind of towards the end, just like you do whatever you want to do. Um, and then he started sending me artists and what do you think of this guy? And I would look at different Instagrams or whatever. And then he had found Tom and he sent Tom oh, to me and was so like, good. oh, uh, this dude like really like really suits the sort of filthy sort of vibe of, of that record and, and who we were as people and stuff. So once I sort of saw the, you know, the, the, <coughs> excuse me, the bed picture and all that, I was like, okay, yeah, fuck yeah. And that's really the impetus of, then I started thinking about the themes of, of the record and stuff. And then that's where one night stay came from, um, which I just thought was great. So once we, sort of started matching that shit up. I, was, I I got really fired up and excited about it. And I think with vinyl, you know, because it's displayed behind you, like it's part of, you know, it's just like, it's almost decoration. It's almost, it's, it's, we're going back to like, you want to know who the fuck I am? Check, check these walls, Ooh, baby. And, also, also and the thing is you can grab it and it's a part, it's like, it's, it's real. You're not, yeah. and no, yeah. not to cut you off, Dave, but like yeah. I, I picked this up and it's like, you know, this is this is an actual thing that exists in reality. Like Pinhead Gunpowder, yeah. really, they're really they were really a band, and <laughs> I could really open this and I could I could read the liner notes and I could see who they were friends with and what other bit. Like that's how I found bands. Dude, I mean, years ago, thirty five. Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, we could do a podcast on that, and I could talk to you for fucking twenty five hours about it. And I'm not going to do that because I am that guy, and I will do that. But I just want to say quickly. Um, Chuck is maybe he was going to get there and maybe I'm cutting him off, but um, Chuck wrote basically all the lyrics to this album and the themes and, and the song titles and in the, in the, the structure and the idea of, of what we were saying on this album is truly Chuck or his story in this moment, right? In this time, in this moment in time. And the thing that, a lot of people don't know is that we ended up sequencing the songs in a direction or in a way that didn't line up with the story per se. Um, there were just, you know, um, let's, I, I don't want to make a big deal about it. Like the label was like, okay, well, I'd really like this song to be in the first three songs. And we were like, okay, well, in theory, that's maybe not exactly how we want it to go, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Long story short, this new release has the sequencing of the album that fits with the actual story and the lyrics of what Chuck wrote. Um, and if you actually look at our original release of this album, the lyrics are written out in a way that fits the sequence. Mm. But they don't fit the song sequence of the initial CD release. Um, now we have it sequenced in this way that the story is written and the way that the whole thing is, is meant to be, the whole piece of art is meant to be. So no, not only do we have new artwork, but to me, the right artwork. And again, not knocking the original artwork, but just like the perfect honed in after years of knowing what it's about artwork and the right sequence. And, and then honestly all fucking props to Casey because he really spared no expense in, in helping us recreate this release. We remastered it and we went um, 
and you know we had initially alan alan douches uh did the initial mastering and he did the remastering for us but the beautiful thing was is he was like what do these guys want what are they missing what did i miss you know what do they need brought up like whatever and we gave notes and notes and notes and he he found it all pulled it out brought it up sorted it out and I mean, for me personally, and I know like Chuck and I, I remember texting him the night we got like the final like master from Alan. I remember like, you know, like Bluetooth headphones on in my kitchen. I was fucking like, I was like full on <laughs> like air guitaring fucking like my whole apartment up. Cause I was like, fuck, this is so good. And it's like when you finally have this thing that you've cared about for so long and put so much into and, and, and it all just comes together in a way you never thought it could or would come, I guess not could, but would come together. I was just, and I still am blown away by the fact that we get this opportunity. So I'm just, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm sorry. I went on a diatribe there, but I all just right. felt like I needed to get that out. I, good. I, I guess what I really wanted to know from there is, is there going to be more like uh, are the iodine records going to get reissued remastered retouched i doubt I, I honestly doubt it i think that that's been part of the plan but it's been it's been like a contingent thing you know what i mean seeing how this one goes you know casey has been like you know the thing about casey is he does these things because he's passionate about it but it very quickly snowballs yeah. and he gets very and he's He'll fucking frosty the snowman the shit out of stuff. He loves a snowball. He'll he'll wrap himself up in the snowball. So I think it was like let's let's do this as a passion project. We put this out. We, if we you know we sell them, we just take that money and I'll do the next one. And then that one sells whatever. And I just don't see. I just don't see that happening. To be honest with you, and that's probably I probably shouldn't say that, but I I just kind of don't. And it. And I think again, doing the iodine releases, it would have been a fun like retrospective thing, mm -hmm. and and that would have been a different vibe where like we would have went with, you know, a f more fun sort of artwork and that kind of stuff. Um, it would be fun to do, you know, I like the Rise EP a lot. It'd be fun to do something with that, and maybe some unreleased stuff like that was stuff we were talking about. But I just I think iodine at least it's it's taken such a direction that he wasn't sort of counting on mm. that i think he's he he's better you know there's there's better things out there for him than i mean he loves us and we love him and and our stories have always been intertwined um but i think you know he's just on a bigger bigger potatoes than ultimate ultimately if we were willing to like be a band Mm -hmm. and play shows and work towards a new album would casey want to champion that and be a part of it i 100 percent wholeheartedly believe he would be like fuck yeah whatever let's do the thing um that's just not our reality right like yeah. um the the support i guess ultimately is the point right casey has always been overly supportive of us i don't know if every band on iodine feels that way i i would like to think that they definitely feel super supported because 
I just know Casey and his work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just, there was, there's always been a special relationship that we've had with him and, and initially from Chuck and him, <laughs> where did you guys have your first dinner? Was it an Applebee's? Pizzeria Uno. Pizzeria oh. Uno. Uno. Oh, Sorry. Pizzeria my bad. Damn Uno. It. And I, I picked know. up the I picked up the check. What the fuck? <laughs> Fucking nineteen. You took me out, dude. I'm picking up the check. Right? What the fuck? Paying for paying for your deep dish, bro. Like get the fuck out of here. Seriously. <laughs> I'm right? still salty about that. I picked up the check. As you should be. Yeah, the pizzeria um, Uno. No, but he just he just, you know, he's just such a solid human. And I know he loves us and I know he loves our music and I know he cares so deeply about what we've done together and what, you know, whatever project we're working on. So I, I know he'll always support us and I know he'll, you know, I, I, I know deep down, he's like, come on, come on. Why don't you play a show? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And the reality is, is again, you know, like we talked about before, um, I don't want to put any pressure on, let alone myself, any of these other guys i'll i mean again ultimately if i had my if i'm just being honest if i had my dream i would want to just be in a room with them i just want to be together i want to fuck around laugh with each other if music comes out of it and we create something great if we just fuck around (laughs) and just enjoy each other's company that is the most important thing in the world to me is human connection with the people that i love so that'll always be it. And I know that that is also, I guess my point is that is Casey's deal too, is like, I love you guys. I support you. I want to do this because I know how much it meant to me and I know how, meant, how much it means to you. So let's make, let's put this out on vinyl and then let's just see where it goes from there. And, and again, going back to those initial conversations about it, I never ever thought that we would have new artwork i never ever thought we'd have remastering i never ever thought that it would be as fucking cool as it's turned out to be so i feel genuinely uh, lucky and thankful and gracious um to casey that that he he put as much effort into it as he did um while he's working with all these other bands that he's re-releasing and all these brand new bands that he's signing so you know the fact that he's giving us the time and effort and care when we're not an active band means the world. Well, I mean, you do have a legacy though. So, I mean, there is kind of a value added there as well. So I, I, I mean, for you, Chuck, to say that maybe there, there won't be an interest in, or the say it won't sell through the way uh, you would hope. I, I kind of don't see that the same way you do because I'm coming from a fan perspective. So I'm thinking, all right, this is going to, this is going to go, it's going to go off. It's going to be big. So I'm I'm hoping it happens the way I'm foreseeing it. Yeah, me (laughs) too. I mean, that's the thing. You try try not (laughs) to, uh, you know, you try not to get um, over excited. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, maybe some people will buy it. That'll be, that'll be cool. And then you eventually do once things start coming together and it sounds the way you want it to. And I got all these ideas that I want to do. You know, I wanted to do, we were going to do this limited thing where it comes with this almost little, not like a magazine, but I was going to, I full on wrote like the, a new version of the story of the records 
because for me it was like yeah i want it to be able to speak to the 20 year olds that maybe are going to pick it up but i also want it to age with the 42 year olds too and have it have this like cool spin on it so you know our mind was racing with all the cool stuff that we're going to do and 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 of course in my head i start going like oh people people might freak the fuck out for this like this might be this might be our time baby you know and it it just doesn't it just didn't feel like it it doesn't feel like it obviously it's well, been delayed and the, just, and the record's not just, out but sure let's also just remember that we live in a time where what does it take to get people to freak the fuck out right like oh god who knows i have no idea exactly like it's <laughs> almost virtually impossible because yeah. everybody's sucked into this fucked up world and we're all like online looking at each other in screens like we are today and yeah I don't know, man. Like, I just, you know, I, I don't want to be the the old guy saying like, hey, you know, things were better when we were younger, but um, they were, they were, fuck <laughs> it. Like it was more tangible and real. And yeah. like, I don't know. It just didn't feel so f- like, who gives a fuck? It felt more like if we're not enjoying this moment, then the world is ending. If we're not like living for now, then what the fuck are we doing? Like, I don't know. I don't, I, yeah, I don't want to go down and be that guy right well, now, but that tied that ties <laughs> in, into my, I only have one, one real question that I ever have pre-prepared for any, any, uh, there's only one. And we've been talking for what an yes. hour and a half. <laughs> yes. But I, there's only one thing I have pre-prepared always. And I ask every, every guest this, and it ties into that in the, kind of sideways sort of way i always ask everyone what terrifies them on an existential level so Mm. i i pose this to you because a that's what i ask everyone and b it it gives me an insight into the psyches of the people i speak to because what we fear is is kind of who we are Mm. so i present that to you you want to go first i'll go first yeah i think (laughs) i think what i've always been afraid of on an existential level and that it's gotten maybe better over the years but it certainly was the driving force for all the creative work that i did is that this is a blip that isn't gonna fucking matter and what i do is gonna have no sort of ripples why should i even fucking try why should i even care why am i staying why can i not sleep at night why do i why am I so worried about perfect words, perfect order? Why do I want to connect with people on uh, like this deeper level when they won't even know who the fuck I am? All that kind of shit. I think mm. having kids has loosened that up a little bit where uh, my yeah. my legacy has become concrete and tangible and and I the the best way that I can put it in the way that I've like evolved as a person is I used to well, part of the biggest story even if you don't care about the main character and my shift the shift in my thinking was like no i want to be i want to be a a character that people care about in a small fucking story that became Mm -hmm. more important because the the if i i wanted to be this big part of a big story but I what I didn't give a shit about myself. Like I didn't care about myself, so I didn't I didn't really I wasn't worried if people cared about me that kind of stuff. So now it's like I got a small little 
a literal small little world where my work is right down the street. It feels meaningful. I look at my kids, that feels meaning, meaningful. My family, people that I love. And, and if the people that I love love me and I'm kind to them and, and do all that kind of stuff, then that that's the ripple. And that's the shit that is going to ripple. Yeah. Um, and, but I, but, and so to now my new greatest fear, I guess, is that am I love, can I love enough? Am I, am I caring enough? Am I loving enough? Am I letting bullshit get in the way again of like, you know, blocking those sort of ducts where I just like, I want to be such a loving, caring people person to the people that I love and care about. And why am I, am I still getting in my own way? And, and what the fuck is my problem? You know, what the fuck is my problem? I guess is my biggest existential fear. David. Yeah. Oh shit. Well, um, <laughs> as you know, I am a sucker for, do you care enough about me? Do am I good enough? Do you love me enough? Yada, yada, yada. Um, I've lived a lot of my life. Um, trying to measure up and a lot of that for me comes from childhood and um, being a younger sibling to a older sibling who just brought a lot to the table and was a lot of the focus of life and um, I spent a lot of my life just feeling less than and not really knowing how to navigate that and how to move on from that and how to uh, pull myself out of feeling that way. And because I, I had sort of uh, pegged myself as that person for too long. Um, and I will be honest, I feel like in a lot of ways, uh, through our the six, seven years of our band from like day one to like the very end, it was probably like six and a half, seven years from like the moment we were in the basement with a four track through making records and recording and touring and whatever into being over um it gave me a lot of confidence eventually it took a while but um i eventually got there in the band and i feel like a lot of that for me also conveyed to my personal life um it, it taught me a lot of lessons about um who i am as a person what i want out of life and just being confident and my ability where wherever i'm at in life knowing that it's not perfect knowing that it's always a work in progress knowing that it's going to improve if i put the work in and and that was like such a monumental thing you know you're in your early 20s mid 20s like you're just you don't we don't know what the fuck we're doing right but i feel like i learned so much through our band about how to just be how to be really how to be, uh, how to talk to people, how to be confident, how to bring, uh, how to fake it till you make it at times. Cause like there were times in some of our recordings where I know I wasn't confident, but I know I got good vocal takes. And I think I was thinking that I was somebody else in those moments. <laughs> um, and I mean, really, and to be fair, yeah. it wasn't until like our last couple recordings where I was confident being me being good at singing before it was like i'm gonna pretend i'm so-and-so and i'm gonna kill this take right it wasn't until way later that i was like no i'm just gonna kill this take um so that it was huge growth for me 
Um, and then, you know, when our band initially ended, ended, um, I'm not going to go like deep into that situation, but it was very, very, it was a very tough moment for me, um, for a multitude of reasons. And it took me quite a while to kind of move past that. Um, but once I did and I realized, um, you know, that I still had this, like a lot of life to live and I was just getting going really. And looking back on like being in the band and what we did and what, what felt like a blip was really like a huge amount of time. And we created a bunch of art and had all these amazing experiences together and <laughs> met all these amazing friends. And like, when you really think back on it, it's like, holy shit, that's like a lifetime for most people that we lived in like five or six years, like a lifetime of experiences we had in this short condensed period of time. And I just, I don't know. I just feel super fucking lucky to have just to have lived when I, to have existed when I existed and to have been there when we were there. And to, cause I just feel like if it was 10 years later, 10 years earlier, it would not, have happened the way that it happened. It just wouldn't yeah. have. There was something about that time frame. And I mean, you can talk about the, you know, whatever, pre-streaming, pre, you know, all that shit, like pre-Napster, just before it, like that there was this insatiable need for music and to consume it and to find a way to share it. And the only way to do it was through mixtapes, mix CDs, whatever it was, right? Yeah. Um, and then when it all shifted to the other side to wh whether it starts with Napster, of course, and then you go into YouTube and then streaming services. And now here we are in such a completely different asinine world. Um, I'm so fucking thankful and gracious and happy that I live when I live. I was born when I was born and we created music when we did because it would never have been as special as it is and it was if we didn't exist in that time. I don't know. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I'm sorry. I'm tired. No, I love listen, you guys, and I love music. And I just, I just, I just fucking have this like unending river of like love for music. And I just, I, I know Chuck doesn't give a shit about music anymore. And I love that about him because not only is he one of my best friends, but I love how real he is and how honest he is. He doesn't fucking care anymore because he has other cares in his life. And that's what matters to him. But I'm, I still care so much about music and I still, it still matters so much to me. And I love finding new music and I love sharing it with people and, I think that'll just be who I am forever. And honestly, the last thing I'm going to say, unless you ask me another question, which you probably shouldn't, Chuck one day said something about me and I won't quote it right. So I'm not even going to try to, but he basically was like, you communicate to people. The best version of your communication to people is through music, is through sending them music, playing them songs, like that is how you properly communicate. And it is the truth. And I didn't know that for a long time until he really pointed it out. And I've always thought about that since the moment he did it. And I still do to this day, 
because I feel like I do communicate to people through music and it is the best way for me to express who I am and what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. And so the best way I can wrap up my part on this podcast is I feel so fucking lucky to have been a part of Orange Island, to have been with these four or five other humans through a couple of different bass players that just, we just loved each other, cared about each other, jived with each other, just, it made sense. Um, and I will, I, I will just, I will carry that for the rest of my life and be so thankful that I was able to be there in that moment in these times and to be along for the ride with all of these dudes. I don't think we could end on a better note than that, to be honest with you. I mean, that's, that's it, kind of perfect. Um, but shit, I, I'm so looking forward to this. I can't wait to have it in my hands and have it be real in my, in my little corner of reality here. Dude, same. And you know, <laughs> I, I'd say, come on again, but I, I don't know if we're going to get anything else. So <laughs> it's, well, kinda, you know, we'll it, see. Yeah, well, ho I'm hoping so, but you know, this is big market tease. Let's find out. Yeah, let's find <laughs> let, let, all my listeners buy the fucking thing so we could get another episode. <laughs> there we go. That's where it's at. Yeah, that's what we're that's talking about. Subtle little jab. <laughs> yeah, I know we all want to play music, so like, let's let's find a way to do it. <laughs> yeah, come on. But I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, I'll uh, I'll be in touch with you soon because I'm gonna have to get uh permission to use some music uh in the body of the podcast because i like to do that i got i'm sure it'll all be denied i'm sure i'm sure it will i'm sure it will <laughs> i i got myself into some trouble in the past with that even after getting permission uh no shit really yeah yeah orange nine millimeter they were on east west records and oh, no. i thought i had permission and i wasn't whitelisted and they're atlantic so it didn't it i got i got demonetized oh wow <laughs> damn dude that's eh. fucked up oh well yeah I know, I know but still that's fucked up. oh fuck them whatever <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. but guys thank you so much and thank you peter honestly peter appreciate like, it this yeah. is so fun Yes, this was a good time. And, I've been uh, telling Chuck, I was like, we keep doing separate podcasts. Let's, we need to do it together. Yeah, right. So this was great. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. I know. And uh, I wanted to tell you too, um, when the ball got dropped in September on, on my end, uh, there was a really nasty car wreck in the family. Oh. So that's why we, I missed you guys. Um, Dude, so no. I, I'm not even necessary, that. buddy. Not yeah. even necessary. Yeah, totally all good. But, I uh, hope everything's okay. But it honestly, is. It is. yeah, yeah it's. I got you. I mean, I understand. I, I had, I, yeah, yeah. We don't need, even need to go down that road. Awesome. Totally, we got you. Awesome. Well, guys, you get a good night's sleep. I'm sure going to because I'm shot too. But uh, oh, thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> and this was uh, super fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. Have a good night. All Thanks right, man. You David, love you. Love you, babe. Bye, brother. <laughs> And there you have it, folks. The love between band members. The love between band members and fan. Uh, the connection therein. This beautiful record. Iodine Records has seen fit to re-release it, to put it back into the world, to give it the loving 
uh, remix, remaster, treatment, the, the vinyl reissue that it has been given. It's totally worth it. It's worth your money. It's worth your time. One Night Stay is one of those records that will always stand out you know, in, in, in my collection, in, uh, you know, the story of my life as being one of those all-time greats. Quicksand Slip, um, you know, Sick of It All, Blood, Sweat, No Tears, Jimmy World Clarity, uh, Orange 9mm, Driver Not Included. Uh, there, there's so many, so many, uh, you know, Hallmark records, um, you know, Into Another's first record, the self-titled. But then again, it's kind of like all of Into Another's records. And it's the same thing with Orange Island. Everything they did stood out as being something, you know, greater than the sum of its parts. I hope you feel the same way. I hope you love this record. I hope you love this interview, this discussion, and these two wonderful gentlemen. That being said, I've been Peter. They've been Dave and Chuck. You've been beautiful, and this has been The Book of Very, Very Bad Things Podcast. Love and blessings to all of you. Can't wait to talk to you all again. Have a great night, everybody.